KJ, I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And sometimes that means I view situations a little bit differently to other people. Over my life that's caused me to want to hold back and not really say what I'm thinking in case it's misinterpreted or I scare people away. But I've decided to just start sharing my thoughts, so welcome to my socially awkward life. This is a difficult recording and I've nearly backed out of doing it so many times. I've had a few socially awkward conversations to have in the last few weeks and the anxiety surrounding them has pretty much consumed me. Um, I received a lovely and encouraging and timely email from someone though, letting me know how much one of the earlier shows had been exactly what they needed to hear and it's encouraged me to keep going. As it says in Proverbs, a fitly spoken word is like apples of gold. And her email certainly felt like that to me. Today, I want to talk about authenticity, along with the health benefits related to that, but also the privilege that's associated with that. In terms of health benefits, it's mostly qualitative research qualitative research, I should say, and which obviously has value, but it doesn't have the same data and graphs and spreadsheets that the quantitative research that I tend to enjoy has, where I can look at a graph and go, look, here are the facts. Um, Brene Brown, if you've ever read her work, is a qualitative researcher on shame and vulnerability which is hugely related to this topic and I highly recommend reading her or following some of her stuff. She is such a fascinating and interesting person to talk to or hear from. She actually has a brilliant quote where she talks about how fitting in is the exact opposite of belonging because fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Whereas belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are, it requires us to be who we are. And whilst both outcomes are accepted in your community, one requires a lack of authenticity from you and the other doesn't. Belonging is being accepted for who you authentically are. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everybody else, regardless of who you are. And I think this is a really important thing to look at as we approach this topic because you can look like you belong in a community fitting in but actually it's still an incredibly lonely place to be if you feel like nobody knows the real you and you can't be yourself and loneliness is one of the leading causes of mental health difficulties including anxiety, depression and it's often linked with addiction too. Studies in the LGBTQ plus community show much higher rates of pretty much every mental health concern you can name, as well as heightened experiences of pain. And it's markedly higher in those who haven't come out versus those who have. And I think this is really important research because it's true side by side comparison of the exact same person hiding how they feel versus being open and authentic about how they feel, surrounding a core part of their identity. 
there's no variable to change of their experience growing up or their community that they grew in or their culture etc because it is the exact same person that we're assessing and authenticity doesn't have to be a fixed idea a, a lot of research is criticized for focusing only on consistency and behavior or in different things but authenticity is about feeling safe to express your thoughts and your feelings your needs as well as your desires and that's a far better barometer of these things because those things that we feel and think, our needs can change and evolve over time. Some really interesting research that I found was authenticity measured in new mothers returning to work. And it found that those who were the happiest and then the most successful in their workplaces were those who felt able to express difficulties and discuss how hard they were finding juggling both role of being a new mother and career without fear that they were going to damage their career prospects or judgment from others about their parenting. From an autistic perspective, we often talk about the concept of authenticity or a lack of with a term called masking. And several studies relate this to low self-esteem, stress, exhaustion, anxiety, depression, and even suicide. So authenticity is really important. It's psychologically damaging to us as humans to have to feel that we need to hide who we are. A culture of authenticity is a really good thing for a community. And it's something that I've heard taught a lot in church. And whilst I agree with the heart behind the message that's being taught, if I'm honest, it's still even after over a decade of hearing it, a little bit jarring to me when it's spoken about. Authenticity feels like a trigger word for me and to several others I've spoken to because sometimes authenticity feels like it's a luxury that only some people can afford. If you're privileged enough to be able to be authentically you in a community and still be accepted, then you're really lucky because that actually isn't everyone's experience. In fact, being authentically you in some situations can be really dangerous if you're different. And a lot of my church trauma stems from being a brand new Christian in a church where I was told I could be free to be authentically me, and then finding that I was labeled as dangerous and could never recover from the stigma of that whilst in that setting or community. Naively letting my guard down and speaking my thoughts honestly meant that I could never again be trusted or play a real part in the community. And the crazy part was that at that time, leaving the church was considered to be a really huge deal. People were not encouraged to go to university or even Bible school because you could learn everything you needed there, so why would you leave? In fact, when I did leave, I heard whispers from other teenagers in the years below me that I was an example of rebellion or running away when they were discussing their futures. Now, I don't know whether I started a rebellion or if times were just changing generally, but the next year several girls left for university and there was no issue. What I experienced was a very different culture and not what good churches look like. But there are those out there that teach this stuff and so I want to mention it because if your church thinks leaving is a really big deal, that should be a big red flag to you and it probably is time to leave. 
In fact, I once remember being so scared when a pastor in my current church asked if we could meet up because a family had left the church, citing the fact that I hadn't been supportive of their needs as a small group leader. And I was absolutely terrified, and I assumed that there was going to be some kind of discipline. It turned out he just wanted to check if I was okay and make sure I wasn't blaming myself. I even asked him, aren't you angry that they left? And he looked a little confused and paused, and then his response was, KJ, People are allowed to leave if they want. Church is voluntary. They might come back, but it's okay if they don't want to. And to be honest, someone told me they've moved on to another church in our area. And I know they're going to get great support there. I was just wanting to check in that your feelings weren't hurt by the things that they'd said. And this was so alien and confusing to me, but also so refreshing and affirming that I had moved on to a safer place, one where someone could express their frustration in our community about their needs not being met and go somewhere else and find the support that they were looking for. And no one was holding a grudge or trying to control them. They simply were allowed to move on. They were just going to check that nobody was getting hurt in the process. And it was refreshing to see emotions being expressed without a huge drama being made out of it. Ironically, this is actually something I see most often in the autistic adult community. To my shame, I used to avoid them. I didn't want to go there because it felt like a negative place. I'd grown up aware that girls who aren't happy aren't attractive. Smile more, the culture tells us. You look pretty when you smile. Nobody wants to be around people who complain or are too negative. So... When I was first introduced to the adult autistic community and I saw people openly expressing pain, I was embarrassed for them and I distanced myself. Didn't they know that people won't like them if they say what they really think? I often feel uncomfortable when people express emotion in an uncontrolled way and I want to look away in the same way that you would in a communal changing room if somebody was getting undressed. It's not that I want to leave or that I dislike the person, but I don't want to stare at their vulnerability and make them feel uncomfortable. It feels like I'm violating their dignity. These people didn't seem to care that people could see their big emotions, even the ones that weren't positive. Weren't they afraid of rejection and isolation? And yet, that's not what I saw play out. I watched for a really long time before I engaged, And I saw what looked like volatile conversations and disagreements, things my neurotypical relationships would never recover from. But then the strangest thing would happen. People would just move on. They would express their pain and frustration at one another one day and the next be pouring out love and affirmation over each other. They're fiercely protective of each other, but also willing to embrace anyone who is hurting or in pain without needing to know all the details. And sometimes conversations looked odd to me. Someone would be upset and somebody else would randomly throw into the, into the feed, what's your favourite bird? I think puffins are cute. And I'd think, how is that relevant? Until I realised that this person's special interest was birds. And whilst they were spiralling in distress over things that were completely out of their control, somebody else had stepped in to help them find their joy again.
and they knew each other in such an authentic way, despite having only ever met online, that they were able to support them in a unique and beautiful way that saying don't worry or other generic platitudes would never have been able to do. They understood that hyperfixing on something negative and painful was harming this person and that helping them move to a topic that brings them joy and allowing them to express their knowledge and passion about something they were excited about was the best way of helping to support this person through their stress. I found this type of community really interesting, but also refreshing and easy to belong in rather than fit in because I can express my emotions about something and people empathize and support without judgment. And if I change my mind and realize that I was a bit impulsive, nobody holds that against me. It's not at all what I was told the autistic community would be like. In fact, I was told that they were stubborn and angry and lacked empathy. But that really hasn't been my experience of them at all. They show it in very different, but very meaningful ways. Authenticity in that community is raw and unpolished. And they're really quick to tell me what they think about my faith, but they never hold it against me. There's zero tolerance for hierarchy or cliques as far as I can tell. And if you say something they believe to be harmful, they will call you out on it immediately, but they won't hold it against you, especially if you apologise. There's no people-pleasing culture in these groups. But despite a lot of the pain that they're expressing being related to these behaviours in other areas of their lives, it doesn't seem to transmit to this community. They've built something where they don't have to pretend even if they are doing so in so many other areas of their life. And interestingly, when masking is too hard and it takes up too much effort, the next strategy that people seem to use to avoid authenticity is invisibility. It's a coping strategy for those of us who've been singled out for punishment or as examples for others. And I always find it fascinating because... Oftentimes I've prayed with people who have felt hurt or sad because they felt invisible. And I have sometimes felt that too. But often I've tried to make myself invisible. Sometimes in our modern church culture, particularly charismatic churches, um, there's this thing they do where they pick somebody out of the community or out of the crowd and pray for them. There's a biblical precedent for this, uh, like Jesus uh, calling Zacchaeus down from the tree or calling out to the woman in the crowd who touched him. And this kind of practice often feels deeply important to people. If they felt invisible or unnoticed or like they're being passed over or ignored, it's affirming to them to know that God is singling them out of a crowd and choosing them and saying, I hear your struggle or I can know your heart. And it's really encouraging and it can be a beautiful thing. I've spoken to many, many people who've been really blessed by this type of action because they've been struggling with feelings of invisibility, not by choice, in a larger community. For me though, for many years this used to be pure terror. Every time I sensed it beginning, I'd stare at the floor and stop listening because all I could hear was the blood pulsing in my ears and my own thoughts racing with, please, not me, please, not me, please don't pick me. And to be honest, 
My shaking and trying to hold back tears probably didn't help me camouflage into the crowd, but fear isn't logical. Being in a safe environment for a long time has helped me most of the time to feel a lot more relaxed about these sorts of situations in my home church. But I still get that heart racy anxiety feeling if it happens when I'm visiting somewhere else and I don't know the people doing it. I trust the team I've been around for almost 12 years now, but it's taken a long time to rebuild that trust because it wasn't just one church that singled me out when I was younger. It happened in other churches and even other countries. And I've said it before, but autism is not an invisible disability. People see it even if they don't know what to call it. They often just don't understand what it is that they're seeing, but they can feel that something's wrong, that something's different, that something's not like them. And so they might call it discernment and decide that it's an evil spirit that makes me not like them. Or the sad part is, for years, I believed that too, because it was the best explanation anyone could ever give me for why I felt different why eye contact was painfully uncomfortable at times, or why the worship might feel too loud, or why light touch or laying on of hands, as we like to call it in church culture, made my skin crawl. Until I was labelled autistic, I had no idea that my brain and my nervous system was wired differently. And so I went through my late teens and early adult life having this underlying belief that not only was I evil, but that allowing churches to abuse me was the only way I could get better. And when I couldn't take it anymore, all I had to do was lie and say that I was better now, pretend I didn't feel or think the things I felt, and put on a mask that I'd spent years developing so I could fit in and everybody would leave me alone. So that culture of authenticity... That was literally the most dangerous thing I could engage in as a teenager or early adult. And this is why I find authenticity to be such a trigger word for me. It's not that encouraging authenticity is wrong or bad, but we need to be certain that we're actually creating safe environments for people to be authentic in before we tell them it's safe. Being authentically you is important for your mental health and well-being, but only in a community where it's safe to be so. You can have all the research in the world that says LGBTQ plus people's mental health is damaged by not coming out. But if they live in a country where there's a death penalty for doing so, they aren't safer when we tell them to share that information about themselves. A friend shared on a post this morning on Facebook about how addiction isn't a morality issue, that some people's brains are literally physically different, making them crave their drug of choice in the same way that you or I might crave oxygen. And yet so often it's seen by a cho- as being a choice by those who don't struggle with it. I long for a day where communities are accepting of differences of all kinds, fully embracing that God made us all different and that every person and neurotype fulfills a function in the body, not just as lip service or conceptually, but genuinely meeting others with a curiosity and grace, believing the best in one another and recognising that sometimes our differences can make communication difficult or scary, but that if we bear with one another and take time to learn about one another instead of fearing what doesn't look like us, 
we will all have a richer cultural experience. Iron sharpening iron. Maybe it's unrealistic, and certainly people will have their own trauma to unpack of vulnerability abused or exploited. But maybe the first step to being able to embrace more authenticity ourselves isn't just being more me, but actively accepting and loving those who are being more them, without judgment and without avoidance of the things that we think are a little bit odd or strange. Looking for the gold in other people's personalities and strengths and choosing to focus on that rather than shying away from the parts that we find rough or abrasive. And that's not to say that we shouldn't call out things that we find difficult or hard or when somebody else is hurting us or if we see someone hurting somebody else. But knowing that we can call each other out on these things and still love one another and not be holding it against one another, that's the important part, I think. When we have a fear of being able to speak up against injustice because we don't want to be seen as that person, that creates a culture where we can't be authentic. And being able to move on quickly, allowing people to express who they are, to express their thoughts and their feelings without fear that they'll be stigmatised or that it will jeopardise our relationship for the long run. Those things are important parts of creating a culture where it's safe to be authentic. Thanks for hanging out with me while we talked about this topic. And if you loved it, please share with your friends. I'd love to hear from you too. Do get in contact and check out the show notes.